I'm Greg. I'm Matteo. And this is the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program, a podcast for heady conversations about cycling topics, from commuting to competition. This week, the philosophical implications of suspension forks and cyclocross, technology and bicycle racing, and a hearty thumbs up to a simple pleasure. See you on the other side of the music. We should uh, go ahead and get into the show part of the show. Okay, so I I guess we were going to lead off with a little bit of uh, technology leading into some philosophy. So start shallow and go deep. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, and so I think what caught my eye, your eye, everybody's eye is this, this news from last week that Tim Johnson is testing a cyclocross suspension fork, you know, and these pictures get retweeted around and you do a double take and you go, whoa. Um, and, yeah. uh, yeah, you get a lot of, uh, a, a lot of kind of, uh, the incredulous sort of, <laughs> what the yeah. hell was that? And then reaction. I, I definitely understand this uh, thing of like, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. First, first we can use disc brakes and now people are doing this. Like, is this the next thing that's going to come down the pipe that all of a sudden I'm going to walk into my bike shop and there's going to be, you know, hydro DI2 disc front suspension cross bikes. And that's what, like, I'm going to feel like I have to buy? What's going on here? Right. Like, is this going to be, is this going to be uh, a sport where, you know, it's it's remotely recognizable to me anymore? You know, all of a sudden we aren't, you know, cyclocross for uh, decades, pretty much. I mean, there's been clipless pedals and stuff like that. And of course, as the bike technology changes, you get, you know, more, more and more carbon fiber and and all that stuff, but it's still basically been, uh, road bikes with chunky tires and, uh, cantilever brakes. And, and now all of a sudden in the last like two years, uh, you're seeing this really sweeping changes coming down the pike. And and this seems to be sort of, uh, there's a certain, it's kind of symbolic, right? Like you've got, uh, is this where things are going? There's a sense that people are uh, maybe beginning to say, like, is this the line mm-hmm. in the sand, right? Like, do we go this far? And identify, identifying so, where that line yeah. is, is is confusing and it's baffling because it was only a couple of years ago that the UCI said that you couldn't use tires wider than, you know, 33 millimeters. Than 33 so, millimeters, Right. You can use disc brakes, and you know this is the first hint of maybe the industry nudging us towards suspension in a sport where we we're only using thirty three millimeter tires. It's it's. Well, do you think that um, that maybe that ruling could could actually be part of the influence here? Because when you're you know making the tires narrower, those tires aren't even going to be able to do as you know some of the defenses that, well, tires are all the suspension you need. Well, yeah, uh, you know, if you want to get technical, tires kind of suck as suspension <laughs> systems. Uh, <laughs> and and it's going to get a lot easier to control what that tiny little tire is doing without it flopping all over the place or without bottoming out or worrying about all that stuff if you've got a suspension system doing the work. Yeah. Instead. I mean, just what you can ride on a mountain bike versus what you can ride on a cyclocross bike is completely different. Oh, certainly. And some of that is the tires... And um, a big part of that is the suspension, yeah. you know, and the, I mean, it's really, I think that's why people react to uh, this 
you know, when they see something like Tim Johnson has a lefty, and by the way, for anyone who isn't doesn't know what we mean when we say lefty, it's if you've seen the mountain bikes with the forks that have only one leg on the left side, um, they look kind of weird. That's what we're talking about. Uh, but anyway, seeing Tim Johnson on this uh, cross bike with a mountain bike suspension fork, effectively, uh, that's going to make them nervous that you're going to start seeing not just that the equipment is there and, oh, this is technologically unkosher, but, but it's a very real concern that the courses are going to start to change, I think. that Because you can do more. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know from riding local trails, single track on my cross bike, that you come upon stuff that you, you can't really ride on a cross bike. You know, no, no amount of skill is going to get me through an uphill rock garden on, on, on 34 right. millimeter clinchers. Right. And those are fatter than, than the UCI lads <laughs> in their races, yeah. too. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so that's, that's definitely a concern. Um, so I, I'm not really sure where else to go with this. I mean, the thing is that, well, there's kind of two, I guess, two overriding concerns with, uh, with this. With, I, I guess if we're going to skip, and I think we probably should skip kind of most of the technical uh, mm-hmm. discussion, really, about why why suspension might actually be desirable on a cyclocross bike. I think, you know, basically that if, if the UCI doesn't decide to actually go and, and really clamp down on this kind of thing, that it's, it's essentially mm-hmm. inevitable. Um, and that it, it really will be a technical advantage. Uh, and right now there are no restrictions at all on uh, cyclocross bikes or road bikes for that matter. Uh, with respect to suspension systems, which I think a lot of people don't actually uh, <laughs> maybe not realize. Yeah. Uh, there, there's very few. Essentially, the rules on... Um, I don't want to get too rambly, actually, but the, basically the rules that define a cyclocross bike uh, are that, like road bikes, it has to look like a bike, right? It has to have you know, three frame members, and that, that is every bike, you know, mountain bike, BMX. So far as I, can, I, I know, it's like every bike has to be a diamond frame. Mm-hmm. Um, and cyclocross bikes have to have drop handlebars, and I think that's pretty much it. There, there, there so. are likely you know a couple other wordings, but the, what you said there is is really compelling to me. You know, it has to look like a bike, and there's definitely a you know what's the famous quote about pornography is I know it when I see it. Like it's easy to say I it's easy to say <laughs> I know a bike when I see right. it, and it's also easy to say oh goddamn UCI and this rule and that rule. But I actually um, kind of sympathize with the fact that. Um, with a, a lot of the really complicated bicycle position guidelines and time trial guidelines and kind of some of this, some of the stuff that's come, uh, out of the, the ancestry of like Graham Obrey and our record type stuff is this idea of, we want this to be bicycle racing and we need to figure out how to make sure that people are still racing bicycles because, you know, if, if you take a lot of the stuff that was happening in the 90s with um, with Graham O'Brien and Boardman and, and all the other people doing really, you know, aerodynamic pursuits of the hour record, eventually you're going to get people doing something that doesn't look like bike racing anymore. And eventually you're going to get people riding something that's not... I, I, I guess there's a slippery slope argument that eventually you're just going to get people riding fully fared recumbents and it's going to be time trials... And sure. that's not uh, people do riding fully fared recumbents in time trials is like 
kind of a cool thing because you can go really fast on a vehicle under your own speed, but that's not the the road cycling sport that we know and love with its beauty and its absurdity and its tactics and its pelotons and its sprinting and this and that. Yeah, yeah. And you start to wonder also, you know, for example, even if you don't get like mass start races where everyone's on a recumbent, because I don't think that, that would ever <laughs> happen. But, you know, do you start getting like on in mass start, you know, so you say in the Tour de France, like on the mass start stages or the on diamond frame bikes, and then in the time trial, suddenly everyone's at a fully fair <laughs> recumbent. And, and, you know, that kind of <laughs> just very, it's not, there's an argument too for sort of audience confusion in that sense as well. Like it's bad enough as it is. I, I, I mean, man, time trials don't get me started, <laughs> but. You know, yeah, it's true that these rules do exist. There is a motivation behind them that makes mm-hmm. sense, right? And I wrote a little bit about this. Uh, I guess when we publish this episode, we'll put out just a little show note uh, file document, or, or just web page rather, <laughs> <laughs> with with basically links to various things we're talking about, just so uh, listeners can follow along and, and see what we're discussing um and i'll include this little column i wrote on it i wrote uh in there and just one of the points i wanted to make there was that uh the rules of any sport are arbitrary but they are not purposeless right like arbitrary in the sense that where we draw the line there's not really an objective uh reason why we put it here versus there but that by having these rules, we are able to kind of carve out a space in which different sports and disciplines exist with a specific identity, right? So, you know, cyclocross looks like this, and it's because the bikes look like this, and the courses look like mm-hmm. this. You know, and mountain biking is what it is because you have bikes bikes that look a different way uh, and are ridden on courses that look different under some... St- different rules right and that's what this comes back to once again is not wanting and by the way there are some people who are seeing these photos and going woohoo you know uh cyclocross bikes have always been <laughs> um these guys often are right bikers. and, and the, the, i mean you know the <laughs> so, funny thing is, is that yeah absolutely there are people saying cross bikes are stupid they don't make any sense and there are other people saying a cross bike is the most practical bike you could possibly have sure sure that that might be. <laughs> I feel like we could really go down a rabbit hole there. Absolutely. Oh, that's a, that's a deep rabbit hole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. So, I I guess the question uh, when it, when we get down to it is about what's gonna happen here. Like how? I don't know. I guess I would ask you to put you on the spot. Uh, how much of a? How worried are you about something like this? Like, do you do you see? Or maybe to put it a better way, do you think that uh, the UCI or or local associations, or meaning national associations, uh, should step in and and say no suspension on cross bikes, or do you think there should be some kind of restriction on them? Or I mean, do you think that there's some real danger of of uh, cyclocross kind of becoming cross country mountain bike racing with drop bars? Anything's possible, and you know it, it would be a shame if it did because I think cyclocross, what it is now, is really cool in this, you know, 
bizarre multimedia cross-country bike racing discipline. Um, that said, you yeah. know, it's going to be impossible, and I think it's a a total red herring to think that what people are racing now is the same cyclocross as what people were racing 20 years ago and and what oh, the, the cyclocross that people were racing 20 years ago is the same as what it was 20 years before that. So, like, yeah, the, the bikes look so, so similar, you know, okay. Uh, 20 years ago, we had a lot more steel frames than we've got now. Um, the cantilevers were shaped a little bit differently. You maybe still had some people on center poles. Maybe the tires were a little bit, the tires were a little bit skinnier and no one had ever heard of a mud tread, but it's the same bike and it it looks the same. I just think that it's, it's easy to get stuck in a nostalgia where you assume that stuff doesn't actually change and even, yeah. Sure. Oh, and in it, yeah. Sorry. Well, innovation is happening, happening, you know, so the bikes are just one place where it happens, right? What about technique what about style what about in courses of course have changed too you know and just a perfect example of, of how cyclocross now is not the cyclocross of 20 30 years ago is that you have to bunny hop barriers to be competitive in the international mm-hmm. sport just just that's just one example so it's not just equipment that evolves yeah. and i mean you know so so many things evolve like training evolves and speaking of the potential for going down rabbit holes i was I was riding earlier and kind of mulling over the legacy of Eddie Merckx, and I was wondering, like, I wonder what his power output was. Not because I'm interested in, like, a number of watts, <laughs> but, like, you know, with all this talk about the hour record and actually comparing yourself to Eddie Merckx, like, no one can touch his palmares, but, like, where where would he stack up in the peloton today? Right. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in the people... Yeah, I mean, we can't. I mean, that, that, that's that's <laughs> quite a ways. You know, but... like he didn't peak. What if he did? You know. Sure, sure. Well, you know what? Yeah, right. What if? Uh, what if he was racing against a? You know, today's more. Not even that that he wasn't superlative, but you know, now we've got much many more riders at closer to yeah. the same level. Things like yeah. that. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think that. There's legitimate reason to kind of keep an eye out to make sure that uh, the identity of a specific discipline is not threatened while still allowing it to evolve. Um, and I think in that sense, to you know, we should kind of see what happens, mm-hmm. right? Um, because some of the best stories in the history of bike racing came about when someone pushed the boundaries of what was possible and and even what was allowed uh, i mean greg lamond in the 1989 tour oh, of france who doesn't know that that story of him winning that bike race essentially on uh, better aerodynamic technology in the time trials he had he had the triathlete and, and what more bars. could you ask from a tour de france for it to come down to the last stage a duel between two people that winds up separating first and second place by nine seconds at the end of three weeks like you know i i think a lot of people could easily say like you know uh could you imagine being like the first person to introduce aero bars to the tour de france but like wow what an amazing race yeah right and and i mean the, the simple fact of the matter is you know presumably you know you can never know for sure but it, it seems pretty clear that had uh Le Mans not done that that 
you know, it would have been a pretty, no no real contest in the same way, that there wouldn't have been the close racing, there wouldn't have been it, you know, down to one last day. Uh, and that would have been that, and, you know, would have been, you know, Fignon would have been a, uh, Lauren Fignon, who actually came second, uh, would have been a deserving winner of it, right? But it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be right. so memorable. So, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's pretty important. I, I don't think, so, you know, I don't think we're going to get uh, the same kind of, like, memorable moment with disc brakes and cross, um... <laughs> but, Probably you know, not. You, it, there's something it occurs to me that, you know, when you're thinking about, OK, how does the sport transition in terms of technology and identity? There's almost this issue of like, is any change going to immediately make something else obsolete? You know, like we we fortunately sure. there aren't all of a sudden cross races where if you don't have discs, you're going to be at a disadvantage or worse in danger well i think that is actually the that, that's sort of the the really the key element that actually as we were um discussing the suspension earlier was that you know if the courses do change nowadays you wouldn't you could not take the kind of mountain bike that john tomac was racing downhill in the early 90s to a world cup you know international <laughs> class downhill course and expect to oh survive <laughs> You know, but that didn't happen overnight at at the same time, you know, but yeah, you don't want that kind of situation where, you know, if, if you show up to uh, a cyclocross race and you don't have a suspension system that, um, you're not going to be able to ride the course because that would be, that would be a shame. So, so it would, well, it'd be a shame. Well, I mean, one of the kind of ongoing, uh, curiosities about cyclocross, (laughs) uh, riders in the united states the amateurs think that they want these really hard courses and then people make really hard courses and they hate it right <laughs> and people don't go that's the story of down east cyclocross mm-hmm. in maine so you know you don't want that to happen because people are building courses to cater to the people with with the suspension forks because then the people who don't have the suspension forks they're either going to to grumble and uh buy a a new shiny cross bike with a suspension fork or more likely uh they're going to say you know what uh, I'll I'll stick with the and Greg. Here, here's why. Here's I why I think that's racing. particularly important. And I I think that cyclocross is the avenue for really uh, building the the American cycling public. You know, there are so many ways in which it's logistically yeah. feasible in a way that crits and road races have these huge challenges, um, and and various mountain bike disciplines have huge challenges. You can throw a cross race in a park. And you don't need the police to shut down the streets. You don't need, like, uh, an established trail system. You need a big enough park and some tape. And and yeah. and people can and should be able to ride, you know, the old bike that I dug out of the garage. You know, the thing with nine speed and cantilevers. You know, the $500 bike is, is going to be how the sport builds its base. In, in the United States, absolutely, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to lose that. Yeah, well, I think that we're, you know, thankfully, <laughs> I think that where we are right now is really good in that, um, of course, you know, the UCI elite races do have more restrictive rules, um, but you can show up to uh, a USA cycling sanctioned race, your Cat Five uh, cyclocross race, and and do it on a mountain yeah. bike, or do it on, 
you know, whatever the I heck mean, you want. Flat yeah. bars, drop and you can bars, show, you, you can show up bars. to, you know, the, the categorized race before that UCI race and race, you know, yeah, whatever bike. And great. Yeah. Okay. Um, there might be more that we could have gone into on that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we might we might have enough. There. Yeah. Let's, should we so. transition? Yeah. Let's let's transition. Let's let's hit a segment that we're calling. Uh, this is a three-part segment, uh, and we've got rant du jour, thumbs up, and what? Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll rotate through these on an episodic basis. So, with that, I think it is is my turn to give a thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to give a thumbs up to uh, nice upright style city bikes uh, oh, that absolutely. you ride when you're. Healing from a broken collarbone. Uh, <laughs> because that's my situation. But in all seriousness, I love them the rest of the time, too. I spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time on racing bikes, whether it's a road racing bike or a cyclocross racing back bike. Uh, and, of course, the, the cross bike is more um, upright than the road bike, but that's kind of, that's not saying much. And there's just something about it. Uh, so, and I've been riding, so my wife has uh, a lovely little giant Via. And the handlebars put you in the nice sit-up-and-beg position. And it's got fenders, and it's yellow, and it's a mixed-y. And it's delightful. And the thing is that there's something about that. that they're, they're slow. But the steering, because you don't have all your weight on it, is so light. They're just so fun. It's so delightful. As long as you don't have to go up a hill. So I really like those bikes. I just wanted to, to give a thumbs up to, you know, city bikes like that. Go Go and make sure you have one available to you. Ride it. They're cool. You know, Greg, that's lovely. I, I've always wanted a cruiser to have for going to the grocery store and for making sure I have around the house when my mother comes to visit or this and that. I, I don't have one. What I do have, I have an incredibly nerdy commuter that calling it a com- commuter is a bit of a, a misnomer because I don't go all the way to work on it. I just ride it to the bus stop and I lock it up and sure. I take an express bus all the way across town yada 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 I need not bore everybody with the details of my commute but uh, flat pedals super low gear fenders flat handlebars at the seat level and I feel so nerdy when I'm riding it uh, back from the bus stop in the afternoon when I'm you know wearing work clothes and I want nothing more than to be wearing you know cutoffs and a t-shirt in the nice weather <laughs> And I'm I'm sitting upright. I've got, you know, my work, not quite a messenger bag, but not quite a briefcase. You know, it's kind of in between the two. It's hanging off of my shoulder. Right. And I'm just completely upright in a nerdy helmet with a U-lock sticking out of my pocket. Um, and I, I love my nerdy bus stop bike. I see I, I see a lot of guys like you on my daily commutes here in Boston. <laughs> so a lot of doctors, a lot of doctors on hybrids. That's thumbs up. That's thumbs up. Well, I've had uh, a fantastic time. Uh, I hope that we will be uh, doing this again soon. Yes, likewise. Likewise. All right. Thanks Thanks a lot, Matteo. Thank you, Greg, and to all the folks out there on the internet, this is the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. Catch us again soon.
All right, here we are. We're rolling. Yeah, we're rolling. Okay, so I guess let's start with uh, the name. So, all right, Mario, why don't you... So I like Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. I think I said bike program there, but I think it was bicycle because that's more old-timey. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but why don't you sell me on... I don't even know how to say <laughs> Ronda Vander <laughs> neighborhood. This is part of my problem, you see? I'm kind of like, this is really... Uh, well, anyway, I, I like it. I like it. I just, I don't know. Let me, I like, sell me. I like the cadence of it. Ronda Vander neighborhood. And it it says, hey... We know what we're talking about with all this foreign bike stuff, but we keep it local. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I, hmm, yeah. All right. It's got kind of that, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like that, uh, Belgique mystique, but... <laughs> but in a, it's still... in a down-home sort of way. In a down-home sort So is it really your, like, Ron, it's Ron Von, your... Ron, Ron Von, your neighborhood? I don't know my... I don't know. I don't know my belt, my Flemish. You can't take my word on anything when it comes to Flemish. In order, in order to speak Flemish, you have to take English and Dutch and German and just like crash them into each other, and then speak it. Oh, yeah. Speak it drunk with a head cold. <laughs> this is my understanding. I traveled. Oh, I right. traveled to Belgium and the Netherlands uh, a few years back, and I was always amazed when I was looking at some of the you know travelers' language primers. And there would be, you know, YouTube videos saying, you walk into a shop and want to know how much something costs. What is the price? What is the price? And I'm thinking, right. this is not a different language. You can't fool me. Well, that's the fun in uh, the spring, right? Of listening, uh, well, sorry, listening, <laughs> watching those, you know, fuzzy pirated sports feeds. And <laughs> it'll just be complete gibberish. <laughs> And actually, my take on Dutch, both Dutch and Flemish, which of which of course is is uh, a dialect of of Dutch, uh, and it, it sounds kind of like someone speaking English on the other side of a wall. <laughs> you know, it's just gibberish; you can't understand it, uh, and you're doing fine. And then all of a sudden, it's like fell into Copen, you know, or <laughs> or something. Yeah, right, or just, just something that is all just. Uh, I can't even remember, unfortunately, an example mm-hmm. off the top of my head right now. But you know, uh, open to bike, you know, or <laughs> yeah, fed underhead, you know, things like that. Where it's it's just suddenly a complete English sentence, uh, just out of the blue. My take on makes, it also is that fun. is that it also kind of sounds like a dial-up modem sometimes. You know, there's like, ding da dong da ding da dargan. Yeah, well, that's that's especially. Uh, it's helped by the quality of those uh, feeds that you get from the, you know, th- those really reliable and trustworthy websites <laughs> Peri- that you need to go through. You know, periodically we've got some races that will broadcast to us like amazing HD streaming video that's super reliable. The Giro did it a couple years ago, and yeah, and then like, ca- and then didn't California and Utah did. Um, it always bumps me out that like there's not that more often. Hmm. Yeah, I oh, international uh, media rights are a. Uh, I hate them. Whoa, whoa, we're stepping on Cosmos toes here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, sorry. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I see that. Uh, you know, I kind of, I have to say, I, hmm, I like these sort of old timey. Like you know, talk about this and the radio kind of sound of uh, 
of uh, WHBP. But I do too. I don't know. I do too. So I think that's what we should call it. I think it's a very descriptive name for what we're what we're going to be doing here. All right. Well, that was easy. That was easy. I didn't even have to. <laughs> it's a good thing because I didn't. I didn't really take any uh, notes on how to really defend it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually working on. By the way, any any. Uh, off the, we can edit this out later. <laughs> <laughs> Any suggestions that you have on like a little theme ditty, or if you know how to find something like that, you know, <laughs> that might be helpful. Uh, but we'll worry about that later. We, we can whip something up. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. So, I hope you I hope you've got your beer. By the way, I do. I'm drinking a uh, a privateer by Pirat. Oh, that sounds wow. It's, what is that? It's a it's a fancy Belgian ale that I got in the ninety nine cent reject bin of my local liquor store. Your liquor store has a ninety nine cent reject bin. <laughs> I I can only hope that it's not like I I don't know if it's like scratch and dent or overstock or just stuff that wasn't moving. But yeah, uh, it changes every time I go, and it's 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 like a. It's like the kind of tub that you would like bathe an unruly dog in, you know. It's just uh-huh. this this low steel or plastic tub that's just sitting on the floor, and it's just filled with like yeah, scratch and dent beers, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite special. I wow. Okay, I've just got. See, I was feeling really proud of myself because I've got. Uh, I was just in Acadia, mm-hmm. Bar Harbor. Uh, you know. MBD. Lovely land. One year wedding anniversary. Whatever. Congrats. Uh, no, it was great. Many more. Many happy. <laughs> I shouldn't morning. whatever that. That is that was really <laughs> awesome. Uh in, in every in every sense. And I just have a local Thunderhole ale from the Bar Harbor Brewing Company and but now I feel sad because it's not from Belgium, which is very topical. <laughs> but what can you do? You know what? Alright. You know what? Rendezvous your neighborhood, maybe that's like a subtitle and it's and it's perfect. You've got an ale from Maine. Oh. I've got a Belgian beer, it's it's perfect. That is great. Working man's <laughs> yes, working man's uh, honest bicycle program. We roamed upon your neighborhood. Heady, <laughs> uh, heady talk on cycling topics. Yeah, well, heady chat on cycling topics. That's good. Welcome, listeners. That's good. Yes. <laughs>